Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, we'll be looking at the wealth tax proposals made by presidential candidates Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Joining us will be Douglas Holtzaken, the president of the American Action Forum. Doug, thanks for coming on today. My pleasure. Doug, you recently released a study looking at the impact of the wealth tax proposals from senators and presidential candidates Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. As most of our listeners know, the stated intent of these proposals is to impose the burdens of government expansion on a small number of individuals who they say could easily afford it. First, in a nutshell, will you run through the key findings of the study? Uh, The key finding is that these wealth taxes, which are supposed to be targeted taxes on just a few Americans who are very affluent, turn out to have broad economic impacts. They reduce the growth rate of productivity and thus real wages. And in the process, the burden gets shifted to labor. Uh, $1.2 trillion in labor income lost under the Warren proposal, $1.6 trillion lost under the Sanders proposal. And over the long term, out of every dollar of wealth tax that gets collected, $0.63 is paid for by labor. That is incredible. Yeah. That's the surprising result. So, quickly, what, what motivated you to do this study? I mean, what was the, the goal and purpose of it? Uh, a standard uh, uh, task in economics is to differentiate between the, quote, statutory incidence of a tax, who sends in the check, and the economic burden, who actually has a, a reduced lifestyle as a result of it. I thought this was a great example of thinking through that because it, the, the logic was impeccable that eventually this would have to reside somewhere on labor. The question is, how big would it be? And so to get that answer requires uh, a pretty high-powered modeling effort, and, and we did the study to do that. Mm-hmm. How much of this was also, you know, you talk a lot about how back in the 2008 campaign, um, they were able to get numbers out there really quickly, and there was not something, nobody doing that on the right. How much did that also play a role in this? I, I certainly thought that we needed to get some better public education and fast on what these things really were. I mean, they, they're advertised as this, oh, two or three cents on the dollar kinds of uh, taxes. But the reality is that on an annual basis, these can be very high tax rates. You take the, the Sanders top rate of 8%. Uh, if, if the return on your investments is 8%, then this is a 100% tax rate on that return. Anything that looks like 100% tax rate is going to have a big economic impact, and I wanted to make that point. Mm-hmm. So, um, I know from the study also, uh, you used an outside, we used an outside modeler to do the study. What, what motivated that decision-making? Uh, really, two things. Uh, number one, I didn't want anyone thinking that somehow Doug Holtaken had his uh, thumb on the scale and this wasn't uh, a rigged study. I, mean, I didn't want people thinking that. Um, you don't have to rig the study. I mean, my intuition told me that. The second is that uh, it's hard to build, maintain uh, one of these big computer simulation models that's, that's suitable for the task. Uh, and we, we knew people who had one. Uh, they had uh, something that looked exactly like what the Joint Committee on Taxation would use if this became a live legislative proposal. And I thought that's what the public needed to know. If this became a live legislative proposal, what would the Joint Committee on Taxation say about it? And mm-hmm. the answer is... Nothing very good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because right now, in the middle of a presidential campaign, we basically just get the bumper sticker stuff. So it's, I think, important to understand what <laughs> what's actually being proposed. And the reality in Washington is once a, uh, an idea is out there, 
it, it stays out there. It doesn't go away on its own. Mm-hmm. So this is out there on the shelf, and I want to make sure our study is also on the shelf so that anytime someone raises this possibility, the downsides are also well known. Mm-hmm. Seems like a lot of times as an economist, you're just batting down the bad ideas more than lifting up the good ideas. I, I was told by one of my uh, thesis advisors that uh, 90% of what economists do with public policy is kill value subtracted, and that's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so talking about a little bit more about the actual findings in the study, um, you mentioned that a wealth tax would basically have a unique negative impact on workers' real wages. Talk us through how quickly you see that playing out. Well, what the modeling says is that uh, in the first five years, uh, a little under 30, 30%, so 30 cents on the dollar gets shifted over to labor. Um, over the first 10 years, it gets almost up to 50%, and then over the long term, you get to 63 So um, I, I think getting 30% in five years is pretty quick. Mm-hmm. The channel by which this works, which if you think about it, is buying new equipment that's uh, computer-guided or whatever productivity-enhancing investments firms might make, uh, can't happen overnight. you, you got to have a lot of capital out there in the economy. A lot of equipment has to be replaced. A lot of innovations have to be missed for it to start trickling into the wage stream. But it does happen mm-hmm. uh, within you know the first five to ten years, and I think that's important. And it never reverses itself. So you, you have set in, in motion uh, something which leads to not just the affluent not making as much, everybody loses. And that seems to be an important lesson. Yeah, and uh, that's a perfect segue into my next question here. Uh, how is it that taxing really rich people means that regular working people get paid less? I mean, that doesn't seem you know, like an obvious outcome. That is the contribution of thinking carefully about an economics problem. Right? It doesn't seem obvious, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there are really three steps in the logic. The first is, you are taxing just a few people, but you're taxing a lot of economic activity. And they were selected because they had a lot of the investable capital in the economy. And so counting the number of people isn't the right way to to measure the size of the impact. It's counting the amount of economic activity that's affected. Second is that these are very high effective tax rates. Right? They're advertised as uh, cents on the dollar, but in fact, they can be 7,500% in some circumstances. That's going to have a big impact on behavior. And then the third is simply the mechanism by which wages grow. Wages can only grow faster than inflation if there's a productivity increase, a way to raise wages without having to raise your prices. That's how the standard of living rises. And this interferes with that mechanism for raising productivity, and that's why the wage gains get slowed down. So how are you defining worker in the study? I mean, a lot of uh, studies, you know, matter about how, what definition you're using. So who exactly are the people that are going to get taxed and eventually harmed by this? Um, the people who will bear the uh, the requirement to send the checks in, the affluent people, we don't know their names and they're not, we don't have a little computer model that, that mm-hmm. has uh, uh, Bill Gates in it and we can't find Warren Buffett <laughs> anywhere in the code. Um, but we know the fraction of the wealth that, that those folks hold right now. We use the same assumptions that the Warren and Sanders campaigns used on, the, on that front. We use their revenue assumptions. We tried to faithfully replicate what they what they believed. And then at the other end of the, of the economic chain of, of causality is, is labor. And again, we don't know full-time versus part-time. We don't know male-female. We know that labor income is lower. It's lower by $1.2 trillion in the first 10 years for the Warren tax, $1.6 for the Sanders tax. And since we know that for many households, labor income is their source of income, that's where we think of the, the average person being mm-hmm. affected. So you started talking about a little bit about the difference in numbers between the two plans. What are the key differences between the Warren and, and uh, 
uh, Sanders proposals. Uh, the key differences are just magnitudes. Uh, the the Sanders uh, tax has uh, raises more revenue and has higher tax rates and thus has bigger impacts, especially quickly. Um, Qualitatively, they're very similar. In fact, I, I was more struck by their similarity than their difference. Mm-hmm. So, is this is this a new normal proposal from from Democrats, or is this just two candidates making this making this proposal? Uh, I, I don't think it's a new normal. Uh, they're the only two who have jumped onto this bandwagon. Um, there are a lot of people nervous about this from other perspectives. Um, there's the historical perspectives. Lots of European countries had and less and then discarded a wealth tax, so maybe there's something going on there that isn't so good. There are constitutional questions in the United States. There are administrative issues, like you know, can you really uh, keep people from avo- avoiding this tax, even legally? Um, so there, there are all those things. I thought those were all fine, mm-hmm. but people ought to understand that when the claim is being made that we're going to make the average guy better off because we made the, the rich guy worse off, mm-hmm. that's a curious claim to begin with, and the reality is, both of them are worse mm-hmm. off, and that we don't want. So your your study has received a fair amount of attention. I mean, you've done a couple of TV hits on it. And, I've done asked I to mean, do a podcast. <laughs> and now the best one. <laughs> You're on our po- you, you have come and joined us on the podcast. Um, but also you had, um, and I mean, fairly, you've gotten positive and negative responses based, based on this. Um, but let's focus on the critiques for now. Now, a Washington Post article cited some proponents of the wealth tax who noted that only a small fraction of the top 1% would be wealthy enough to pay the tax. Is this the case? Yes, that's absolutely true. This is, uh, uh, you know, several hundred thousand out of a population of 310 million. So, sure, it's a tiny fraction of the population. But as I said earlier, that reveals nothing about the impact of the tax. What matters is how much economic activity you tax and at what rates. Mm-hmm. So other critics say your study ignores the benefits of the new government spending that the wealth tax would would fund. Could the benefits of this spending outweigh the lost labor income and ultimately leave households better off? Uh, it could. Uh, you could imagine, and my view requires imagination, to the, find uh, a way to spend all that revenue with a rate of return that's really high, very productive, and thus offset the loss in productivity that you have in the private sector with this highly productive government investment or, or whatever it might be, that's that's absolutely correct. Um, it misses the point, however, that tells you nothing about the wealth tax. That tells you that there might be some really fantastic government programs out there somewhere. If so, we should have them, but they should be financed in a way that's less destructive. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the lesson. So... Going to hear a lot more about spending programs is what I, <laughs> what I'm what I'm hearing. So as a technical point for for people who don't do this every day, uh, you never get to see the tax in isolation, mm-hmm. right? So you, you, we want to learn about wealth taxes, but we levy the wealth tax. We have some revenue. You, you have to do something with it. You could sit on it, in which case you'd see the combined impact of a wealth tax and a government surplus, or you could take it and give it back in the form of cash, in which case you see the combined impact of a wealth tax and a transfer program, or you could, as the, the critics suggest, spend it on some sort of productivity-enhancing investment, that's all, that's all true. So the way you learn about the wealth tax is you compare the impact of one method, the wealth tax and the transfer, with another method, wealth tax and productive investment. What they have in common is the wealth tax, and that's what tells you the impact, and the impact's hmm. negative. All right. So the final critique that I, that I saw in, in the Washington Post article was um, 
Critics have contended that your study overstates the impact of the wealth tax on workers. This study is obviously an estimation, but do you see any merit to this critique? I, I don't see how you can make that critique. Uh, we, you know, we published in its entirety the report that was provided to us by the, the three experts who ran the simulation model, and uh, that, uh, that report contains all of the assumptions that had to be made to, to run the model. It reports sensitivity uh, analysis for more and less productive investments, more and less responsive uh, private sector savers. I mean, sort of everything you could want to know to sort of figure out what's driving the actual numbers. And I didn't understand anything. We just reported the facts. Mm -hmm. took, took what they gave you and just put it into context. Um, so here at the end, taking a step back from the numbers uh, a little bit, um, what is the what is the outcome you would be hoping for here by by looking at the faults of this proposal? I mean, the 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 somewhat naive but idealistic hope is that we have a better discussion about what constitutes high quality tax policy. I have no particular quibble with people who think we should tax rich people more. If we want to tax them more, fine. Let's do it in an economically intelligent fashion. That's not this. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to get the discussion to focus on tax policy that is not so damage, damaging to the economy as a whole and that is cognizant of who ends up really paying the burden of a tax. Mm -hmm. Let's design it better. So we're basically trying to have a conversation about you know, what's the best way to bring in revenue that is not destroying the economy. Absolutely. The, you know, the, the famous uh, uh, old saying about tax policy, which dates back to one of the early French uh, tax uh, experts, says it's the art of plucking the goose with the least amount of squawking. And so uh, this is something that produces a lot more squawking than is necessary. <laughs> well, I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more of this over the uh, rest of the presidential campaign, and hopefully that discussion, ha th that discussion happens. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.